Welcome to this episode of The Professional, a podcast series brought to you by ProfMed, a medical aid that understands that the professional of tomorrow is ever-changing. It's 1993 and South Africa is poised for change. A year from now, the country will vote democratically for the first time. But for now, racial segregation is still a harsh reality. In a rural township, a young boy walks down the street with some local kids he's just met. His parents are having a meeting in a house nearby and he wants to explore. It's a Sunday and there are loads of people sitting outside, relaxing, chatting, watching the world go by. The boy's pale skin makes him stick out like a sore thumb. I can't remember. I was in some township somewhere. And my parents were having a meeting in another home, so I went to walk around with the other kids, right? And I remember walking past, and it's a very vivid memory, but I always smile about it, and I say it just makes me work harder, you know? I was sitting, I was walking with two of the other children, both from that township, and we walked past a group of old men. Like, what do old men in the township do on Sundays? They sit around on crates, and either they drink or they discuss or watch or whatever. And as soon as I walked past them, two of them stood up, one with like a nobkiri, and they shouted like, Lehua! and started running after me. And I was, what, like seven? I don't know. You know, even when you understand, was like someone's chasing you because you're white. What does that even mean? You know, at that age, in that context, in a township, ran, ran back to the house. And I was crying because I was being chased. I don't know what I was being chased for. And then the, the, like, the owners of that home took me back to those men, introduced me, say, no, you know, he's part of this family. They're always here. They're they're part they're with us you know this this type of situation and even now i have multiple classes that i teach in soweto in riverly in zanspreit in claremont and i can still go in there and, and people will still or whatever and it's interesting i don't take anything personally because that is a scar of the reality that apartheid did to our country it's nothing to do with me and this encounter it leaves a lasting impression on the young boy. It underlines something his Iranian-born parents have been telling him for as long as he can remember. I grew up, I grew up from a very young age being exposed to the reality of our country. I grew up from a very young age understanding the dynamics, the disparities, the extremes of wealth and poverty, the racial prejudice, being made very aware of these realities. My parents didn't hide me from them. They exposed me to them. And being exposed like that to the harsh realities of the country, it gives the boy a very different experience to most white kids growing up in South Africa before democracy. They didn't for a moment let me fall prey to a comfort zone. They never let me fall prey to comfort zone, which is very dangerous. They didn't ever let me be um, absorbed into that bubble. We have a lot of bubble life in South Africa where people are comfortable in their bubble. And if you just stay away, um, you'll be fine. Like ignore that person, their lifestyle, what they don't have, what they, you know, their lack of opportunity. Ignore that. Whereas my parents, if, and you get that bubble from school, from normal society, they would always make sure that they pop that. I was always every single weekend being taken to meetings, trips, outreaches, um, service projects in which my parents and other members of the Baha'i communities would always go into 
you know, every 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 part of South Africa, every township, every rural area, every upper class area, everything. And I'm constantly getting exposed to these realities. So I grew up with this being very normal. And so because it was very normal, I feel that I've always been given the tools and let's say the glasses to be able to see the reality. Eventually, this young boy is going to use his experience, those reality glasses he has, to forge his own path in a rapidly changing society. He's not going to try to fit in. He's going to embrace standing out. He's going to develop and nurture a bunch of diverse skills and talents, everything from dentistry to rap music. And he's going to use them all to make South Africans smile. I'm Bongani Bingwa, and this is The Professional, a podcast from ProfMed about how the world of work is changing in new and unexpected ways. And if this is your first time hearing about Dr. Lex Rohani, you're probably going to think to yourself, is this guy for real? He's a celebrity dentist, Dr. Smile, the smile keeper to the stars. He's also a university lecturer who believes that dentistry is more of an art than a science and a rapper who makes jewellery. In his spare time, he's a philanthropist who runs his own charity and teaches kids about service to humanity, a follower of this obscure Persian faith that teaches the essential worth of all religions. Oh, and he's a fashion designer too, when he's not breakdancing or skateboarding. Seriously, is this guy for real? I can't believe it. Dr. Rohani, he doesn't look like your typical dentist. He's got a funky haircut, a perfectly trimmed beard, this grand vizier's moustache with pointy, slightly twirled ends. He's dressed in black dungarees and a slick leather jacket with chains around his neck and chunky rings on almost every finger. He's super animated, his hands are waving everywhere and he's got this incredibly wide grin. A bit like the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. It feels like his smile is going to hang around in the air long after he leaves. Trying to put this guy into a box is next to impossible. And that's the way he likes it. You know, a big part of our life is trying to figure out how to fit in. A lot of people have that. We have that between the ages of, I would say, 10 and 20. Everyone says how to fit in, how to be accepted. And it's really interesting. I got to a stage maybe from the age of 17, 18, where I was like, how do I stand out? Not how do I fit in? How can I show that I'm different? How can I develop my capacities and, and talents and interests in a direction that doesn't make me fit in? Just be yourself. Just be yourself. Lex Rohani is a new kind of professional, one who goes by many names, one who does a host of different things. He's part of this whole new wave of work that we are seeing globally, dubbed the Fourth Industrial Revolution. It's a blurring of boundaries between the physical, virtual and biological worlds, as previously unconnected industries and fields merge together thanks to technology. Think 3D printers creating hard valves, voice-controlled smart homes and self-driving cars. It's a world in which we can and must be many things, not just one. And for Lex, the possibilities seem endless. So it's really exciting. It's 
it's really exciting that we have this world. It, it's so vast and there's unlimited potential. Um, I love that I'm constantly every day learning more and more to juggle all these different interests. Dentistry is going to be hit as profoundly as any other profession by the fourth industrial revolution. As computers get smarter and robots get more sophisticated and everyone and everything gets more connected, the way in which we do our jobs is going to shift fundamentally. Everything becomes more integrated, even the way we look after our teeth. The entire dental industry is poised for an overhaul, a digital transformation that will see diagnoses, treatment plans, and patients' health records all being handled by computers. It's been dubbed Digital Dentistry or Dentistry 4.0. And these technological advances are actually making the dental industry more human. Instead of dentists sitting for hours by themselves trying to come up with a treatment plan, they can now play around with options with their patients because computers are doing all the heavy lifting. They can show their patients 3D models of what their smiles could look like and let them choose. This more human approach is going to open doors for a new breed of dentist. It's going to be less about injections and drilling and pulling our teeth and more about a personal connection. And that sense of connection and humanity is something Lex has been working on since he was a kid. I do it for the kids on the street. I do it for my mom's RIP. One of Lex's defining characteristics and one that really sets him apart for a whole host of reasons is his particular brand of spirituality. He's a Baha'i, a member of the Baha'i faith a little-known religion that has its roots in Persia and has faced persecution since the beginning. Above all else, Baha'is believe in unity and service to humanity. Because I'm a Baha'i and my parents are Baha'is and part of the Baha'i faith that really emphasizes your use your time, energy, resources for service to humanity, for upliftment of the downtrodden, for bringing about the unity of humanity, for bringing about the equality of humanity. You literally, your brain is constantly focused on what am I doing to contribute to this goal? This noble goal, if anything, right? Which I think is a noble goal. So everything you do is now directed towards how do I bring about unity? How do I bring about equality and justice and um, upliftment of the standard of spirituality in society? So my parents had this idea, right? And they met because of the mutual love for this. They eventually moved to South Africa um, really with the primary intention of helping bring about its unity, helping advance the standard of education, helping advance the standard of equality, or at that time, inequality, and how they can alleviate that. And it's this very Baha'i idea of service, of always working for the greater good that has guided so many of Lex's decisions in life. Lex doesn't see himself as Iranian. He's never been to Iran. He's South African through and through. But he can speak some broken Persian, and after he finished school, that skill came into play very unexpectedly. Fresh out of matric back in 2004, Lex had no idea what he wanted to study, which career he wanted to follow. But there was this trend amongst Baha'i youth 
to take time out between school and university to do a year of service, spending time helping uplift communities around the world. His brother and sister had both done it. And so that's what he ended up doing too, heading to Greece to work with this group called Doctors of the World, who provide basic health care for refugees who managed to survive the dangerous crossing from Turkey. Back then, the global refugee crisis was still in its infancy. It wouldn't hit world headlines for another decade. But the need was already growing. I went to Greece and I worked with, it's called Yatritu Cosmo, which is Doctors of the World. I worked with them because Greece is like the door, or at that time was the door to Europe for refugees. Um, and so I came from a first world, third world country, but I had no concept of refugees in that sense. Like In that context? In that context. Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Afghanistani, Persian. Uh, I didn't know what that means in terms of refugees. You kind of see it on TV, but the interaction and the difficulties other people are facing. Um, that was interesting. So I went and I volunteered and I became... It was interesting. I could speak Persian, but a very broken Persian because I've never been to Iran, right? So I've learned it and picked it up, but I found like I was the only Persian person there who could translate. So suddenly there were all these prisoners of war, um, patients, people like uh, people who've come from so much difficulty, being displaced from their countries, and now they're trying to get help from the social worker, psychologist, psychiatrist, dentist, doctor, and I had to end up translating. So here's the 17 year, 18 year old translating these hectic stories. You know, I was, my wife was killed. I was kicked out of my house. We had to run with the children. I had this. Now I, had, I need help. I need asylum. I need, and I'm translating all of this stuff. I was like, wow, this is hectic. And then also, obviously, helping, assisting the doctors and the dentists and the this and that. But, and then what was interesting, we did so many like needle exchange programs with the drug addicts of Athens themselves. So the prostitutes and the drug addicts, we would go three, four in the morning into the city center and do needle exchanges because they were getting a lot more infections using reusing needles than giving them clean ones. It was a really interesting dynamic. And like I saw things that I'd never seen in my life at that age. When Lex got back from Greece, he still wasn't 100% sure about his next step. The trip had opened his eyes and that Baha'i compulsion to be of service, it was even stronger than ever before. So he was toying with a couple of options, trying to figure it out, when this chance encounter made things drop into place. I really loved art. I really loved um, physiology and biology. I was like good in these completely different aspects. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do business, medicine, advertising, marketing, architects. I don't know. So now I went to Greece and I'm trying to figure it out, figure it out. And like submission, like admission dates for the university for the next year is by like August. It's like cut off. I think it was July and I still hadn't decided what I'm going to do. And then I was walking in the street one day and I was with my aunt who lives there and I went and met someone and she introduced me to her dentist. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, I'm a dentist. It's really nice. You can help a lot of people. It was a really like simplified level. And I was like, hmm, I didn't have a bad experience when I was a kid. I actually liked my dentist. He was really nice. I know I didn't want to do law. I knew I didn't want to do accounting. I knew I wanted to do something that was in the medical arena and then I could do my art and my other interests around that but I didn't feel I could do it the other way around like do a medical thing on the side of so I was like oh I'm good with my hands everyone needs a dentist everyone has teeth or they don't have teeth 
And in South Africa, we need a lot of primary health care. Um, let me try this. It's a very nice, direct, active way to help people. So I applied and I got in. And it's only through the process of those years of studying did I realize why I'm actually valuable in this career. Why? So I'll give you an example. When I was in first year, our professor came into the class and it was a class of about 45, 50 first years. And she said, who of you did art at high school? And I got the distinction for like, I got the award for art in high school. So I put up my hand. I'm like, I did art. I was the only one in the whole class who did art. Okay. And she's like, the rest of you, and she probably shouldn't have said this, but she said, the rest of you shouldn't be doing dentistry if you're not artistic. And already I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. Let's see what she means by this. And I started realizing, like, so over the next five years, I got top for all of these subjects every year because dentistry is so practical. It's so artistic. You have to see shapes, shades, colors, designs. You have to be OCD about detail. And this really proved itself. Another example was like we were taken into the clinics, into the government hospital as new little first years to see the reality of patient care. And suddenly we go into this group. A professor takes us in. There's this patient, this government patient. And when I say government patient, I mean patients who've been waiting for long in pain, are at the mercy of whoever can help them. They don't have too much of a say. They get what they get. And, that's, and they don't complain. They can't complain. They complain, okay, bring in the next. It's like this. And that's the harsh reality that I'm slowly trying to change, right? So we were taken in. This patient is sitting on the chair. You can see they're feeling awkward, slash scared out of their mind. Here comes like 20 new students, all with white coats. Uh, professor there saying, oh, this is this patient. They're about to have this. This is this, 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 blah, 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 blah. Let's move on. The first thing I realized as soon as we got there was, why didn't the professor introduce us? Why didn't they ask for this individual's name? Why didn't they get us to introduce ourselves? Why didn't they ask the patient, are they okay with us taking a look? Where's the compassion in this? Where's the humanity? Where's the humanity? I realized it straight away because remember I was told and taught from a young age to look for these things and fix them because these are the problems in our country. So I saw that straight away. And I sat with that patient after while the other students went to the next person. And I said, hi, how are you? Sorry if that was uncomfortable. Um, she's just showing us around. We're learning. Like this. Person smiled. Okay, lovely, great. I introduced myself and I went on, right? And I was like, this makes a difference. And none of the other students stopped. And I could see why I was brought up different and how it's going to help. I'm taking off like a rocket, rocking my 21 pockets in this kid's These days... More than a decade later, Lex Rohani is a dentist to the stars. They call him Dr. Smile. Monang Mateba, Kaspar Nyovest, Terry Peto, Nasty C, Maps Maponyane, Pearl Tusi, a.k.a. he's treated them all. And he's got the Instagram account to prove it with 75,000 followers. It is a big responsibility. Um... You cannot be the smile keeper if you don't develop veritable friendships with your patients. You cannot be the smile keeper if you don't have a skill in what you do. If you're not constantly pushing yourself to learn more. You're not constantly pushing yourself to be at the forefront of your profession. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes effort that goes on to be able to be this Dr. Smile that people see. Um, 
and I think that's that's an important point to know. You have to be a good dentist. It's, it's nice to upload nice pictures, and but you have to actually be good. You have to know what you're talking about. You have to know how to treat patients. And Lex believes the secret to his success as Dr. Smile is something very simple, something you don't automatically think of when you think of dentists. True friendship. Whether you are from, I don't know, the, the rural, rural, whether you're from penthouse in Santin, I still look at you as a human being, right? And I still look to learn from your strengths and even learn from your weaknesses. So every human being, celebrity or not, has challenges, has strengths, has weaknesses, right? If you learn to become friends with the people, and the friendship is probably being there to support them, not putting them in situations where they feel used, for their strengths, uh, mutually supportive, mutually beneficial. These are friendships that form very naturally. With these people, the Mups, Pearl, Swarms, I've known them for like 10 years, right? And it's like, I have taken the brand of celebrity dentist because I'm good at marketing. And I've been good at marketing because I was involved in marketing companies from when I was 15 and I've had businesses since I was like eight. So I've always understood marketing. What is celebrity dentist? Well, that label didn't exist and then just okay, made it exist in South Africa, right? And it's like, okay, I treat everybody, by the way. I don't just treat celebrity. I treat everyone. But I also know that everyone needs help, whether physically, whether psychologically, whether emotionally. And I'm there to be able to help. So the celebrity dentist is like, a, it's a secondary thing. I'm a dentist who's helping in the first place. And these guys are my friends. Now, they happen to be celebrities. And there was room in the industry for someone like a celebrity dentist. So I took it. Being the celebrity dentist, the social media star, it's only part of what Lex does in his day job. There's this whole other side to his work that also ties into his faith and his desire to be of service. It's a chance for him to give back, to help people who desperately need expert dentistry but can't always afford it. It's called Project Smile. My Project Smile South Africa that I do, even I would like to help the whole of South Africa, for now, because it's limited to these two hands and the resources that I have, I've really tried to help those who haven't had a choice in what has happened. Victims of abuse, rape, domestic violence, uh, accidents, those who are physically handicapped. Project Smile isn't the only way Lex is trying to give back, to be of service to people around him. He spends most weekends working with kids in and around Johannesburg, running community development classes that focus on the Baha'i faith and this notion of love between all people. He also has a charity called Tiny Seeds that supports families with prematurely born babies. Lex himself was a preemie, born two months early, so he had to fight for his life from the very beginning. He still feels fortunate to be here at all. I look at fortune and privilege very much in the same way. You know, we speak about, in this country, in South African context, privilege, Right. And it's namely under the banner of white privilege, which means privilege for education, privilege of having all your family, privilege of not going to sleep without food or 
these are elements of privilege if you really do realize it. And I said, okay, I was able to go to school. I was able to go to university. I was fortunate to have both my parents for a certain amount of time. This is all privilege. And if I value this, I take that and I say I need to work harder so that all of that privilege and fortune does not go to waste. Right? So if I was able to go to university and get a degree, I better use this degree to help those people that don't have a choice. Well, then I'm wasting it. But for Lex, it doesn't just stop there with recognizing your privilege or your fortune and making the most of it. And he thinks a lot of South Africans are getting it wrong once they get to this point. If I say that I've been able to get up to this point, how am I responsibly using the fortune, the privilege, the means, the resources I've been given, sometimes undeserved, okay? What am I going to now do with it? The answer is not to suddenly give away everything. Now you find someone homeless, well, give them everything. That doesn't solve your problems. How do you use it to empower? How do you use it to benefit? How do you use it to uplift and inspire? That is then the responsibility. So Lex is a talented celebrity dentist, a dedicated lecturer, and someone who genuinely cares about giving back and helping people in need. But surprise, surprise, he doesn't stop there. There's even more to this maverick, a totally different side to him that comes out in his music, in his fashion, in his jewelry line. Not stuff you'd expect a dentist to be doing. And he says the reason he's doing all of this now is that he got his priorities straight way back. I'll tell you where this started for me. So always from a young age, I was doing different things. I always had interests. But when did I become conscious that I'm going to strengthen my different interests? When I was at the end of my first year of dentistry, I went to an international Baha'i Youth Conference in the Czech Republic. All right? And there were so many beautiful speakers there speaking about life and potential and interests and focus and capacity and the role we have in the world today and all of these things. And I was sitting there at the end of my first year and I was like, hey, was I supposed to do this degree? I don't know. Did I choose the wrong thing? Like I'm good at it, but oh, what about like my advertising side and my business side? And Like what am I going to do, you know? And I was speaking to this one lady. She was also professionally a psychologist. And I was speaking to her right after I spoke to an old friend. And the old friend, he was, let's say, 50 at the time, and he was a movie director, right? And he had come to South Africa, and I met him here. And he always saw that side of me that was very expressive and energetic and, you know, the the, the Lex who should go into advertising or TV or something, that side, Right? And he says, so what did you end up choosing? And I was like, I did dentistry. And he's like, what? How could you do dentistry? That's so boring. You were supposed to go into this or that. And I started crying. I was like, oh, my God, I've chosen the wrong thing. What am I doing with my life? And then afterwards, I think the next day, I went and spoke to this lady. And I was like, you know, I'm having this dilemma. I was like, was I supposed to do this? Was I supposed to do this? I like this. I like this. I like this. And she said a very simple line. She said to me, why does it have to be either or? And I always remember that line. Why does it have to be either or? And such things so simple just made a lot of things click. And so when I speak to my students at WITS or the youth that I teach or the ones trying to figure out what they're going to do or whatever, I use the same line and then I give it some context. It doesn't have to be either or. It has to be whichever one you can visualize serves humanity the best first. 
You do that first. Then do your other second, third, fourth, fifth. Don't have to do only one. You just have to do them in order of priority to how they contribute to the world. Then there's your order. Then you focus on that, which is why I'm doing all these different things now. I only got to professionally be a musician, rapper, when I released my first song in, what, July 2018. I had to wait till that time. I had to first go and do my master's degree because I knew how important my academics is and be an example for my students at WITS. Right? I can't be a lecturer if I'm not pushing myself academically. Like, who wants to listen to? I didn't want to listen to lectures like, lecturers like that. So I had to push that. I had to finish. I had to understand that that is now priority. Now it's time for music. The music is talking about, it's not the happy, clappy, universal love kind of music you'd expect from a deeply spiritual person. Oh no. Lex is into hip-hop. And when he's on stage, his name is Lex Leo. Now how does someone who comes from a Baha'i background of no drinking, no sex before marriage, no drugs, no gambling, no focus on materialism, no focus on prejudice, let's say... uh, Speech that has a certain beauty to it in the sense of don't go around swearing, don't go and say things that are uh, that show hate or um, putting others down, or which hip hop is a lot about. We know what hip hop is about, right? And it's still the coolest genre amongst the children and youth. How am I going to go into that and not get influenced? How am I going to go into that and maintain the standards that I want to maintain? Lex Leo's breakout single is called Bafunukwazi. What do they want to know? And he wrote it to answer a question he's been getting for as long as he can remember. Yeah, well, they want to know, you know, even the, the title for that, Bafunukwazi, came off endless questions about why. I am like I am. Why I do what I do. Why am I always with kids and youth? Why am I so comfortable with Tswana Zulu Kosa culture? Why do I have more black friends than white friends? Why do I speak like I do? Why do we always have these meetings at our house that look like there's so many people there from every different diverse background? Like, why? Why are you like this? Right? Because people ask me, why am I like this? And I was like, cool, let me tell them. Let me, it's a good introductory song. Why are you like this? Why are you all those things? Um, because of how my parents brought me up under the banner of the principles of the Baha'i faith. That's it. I think that's why I am like I am. I wouldn't be like this if I didn't understand racial unity. I wouldn't be like this if I didn't understand how important it is to eliminate prejudice. I wouldn't be like this if I didn't understand the need to fight for gender equality. I wouldn't be like this if I didn't understand how important it is to alleviate the extremes of wealth and poverty, to bring about education. I wouldn't be like this. So then tell- I'd be nonsense probably. I'd be a nonsense person. <laughs> I'd be nonsense. I'd probably have like 10 kids and be addicted to drugs. I probably would. Lex is the epitome of the new professional, a skilled person doing meaningful work in a range of disciplines. And one of his favorite quotes from the Baha'i faith sums up his approach to it. Dedicate the precious days of your life to the betterment of the world. We have a limited time here. We have a limited time to find our capacity, to develop our potential, to use it to benefit others and to spiritually develop in the process. 
With that comes material advancement, intellectual advancement, of course. But that can't be our focus. It can't be our priority. You have a limited time. Use it wisely. Look after your soul. Contribute to the others. Improve the life around you. And then it's off onto the next. And in this fast-changing world of ours, where a celebrity dentist can also be a rapper and a fashion designer and a philanthropist too, what's next for Lex? Dentistry is a method in which I can use my talents to serve humanity. It's one way. But there's aspects to dentistry which I gravitate a lot more towards. For example, the design aspect of dentistry is really important to me. And the human interaction and how I can help benefit someone's life is really important, right? It's not the title or it's not, I don't know, having a nice office. It's not about those elements of dentistry. It's about specifically service and pushing my love for design. I now get to a point where I say, okay, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm good at this and I know I'm getting better. Um, and I do dentistry in different capacities, in private practice, cosmetic work, in government institutions, in volunteer dentistry in underprivileged areas. I lecture dentistry at Wits University to try to ra- raise the next generation of students and future Dr. Smiles almost, you know. I have these elements to dentistry, but somehow it's not enough. And I know I want to go in future into a career, uh, namely something like industrial design which deals with the design of everything from the shape of these headphones that we're using to this bottle that's in front of me, to a car, to a cell phone, to a toothbrush, to a a new way of water treatment and solar panels and all of these things. I want my brain to go there professionally because then I can help a million at once, not one or two or three people a day. Helping millions. It's an ambitious goal, but it's one that Lex seems genuinely comfortable with. And this humanity has... His unique approach to life and work, that's something that will never go out of style. It's something that will keep him relevant for years to come, no matter how quickly or profoundly our world and our work change. This guy is for real. And there's no way machines are ever going to replace him. I'm Bongani Bingwa. You've been listening to The Professional a podcast from ProfMed about how successful South Africans are helping to redefine the world of work 